Well, should just let Brent keep on preaching, huh? <laughs> That's uh, good stuff, and I enjoy it. Fantastic. We're going to key off of that. We're going to key off of what Brent talked about in this particular lesson and look at some of these same things from a New Testament perspective. One of the things that we have been discussing is God's purposes in us. One of the big challenges that we all have is continuing to understand what God's identity is for us, what God intends for us to understand about ourselves. Our challenge is is that we are so consumed about being forgiven for our sins that we forget that God didn't just forgive us and then that's the end of the story and aren't we all happy. He forgave us and created us, His people, as a special possession and for a special purpose. And so that's what I've been trying to show in my part of these lessons is renew our identity. And I know just by what I see across the nation, we are more and more getting into the picture of churches who only are glad they were forgiven and they see the local church as kind of their nice little family group and we come together and kind of high-five each other that we're saved and going to heaven And there is a lot of misunderstanding about what God has designed us to be from the very beginning. And so, in this lesson and the one tomorrow morning, we are going to examine that more carefully. Right now, what I would like to do in starting this is to ask you to take a little journey with me in your mind. It's a journey back to the days of the Roman Empire to the city of Jerusalem. And I'd like you to, in your mind, step into those dusty streets and take a look at what is happening. It's a raucous day. It is a day where there's people just shouting and screaming everywhere. We're hearing a mob scene come down the street. And suddenly we see what it is all about. Men carrying crosses and heading to their death. For us from the 21st century, it is horrifying. We can't hardly even believe it is happening. But we watch and we see the shouts and the screams. There's nothing somber about this scene. And then they get to that place where they're going to be crucified. And you watch these men nailed to these crosses and lifted up. And you hear the agony of the pain that they are going through. Now I know you want to leave right now. You're not allowed to leave. You have to stay. Sit down. It's going to be a long day. And you're going to watch these men writhing in agony. Not for a few minutes. Not for an hour. But for hours on end. 
I cannot even begin to imagine how long one minute was. You know, pain does that to you. When it's really bad, one minute is one minute too long. And the Romans had designed that death for the greatest agony without making the person become unconscious. And so you sit and watch. And you think it never will end. And you pray that God would take them. You pray that they would die. And they do not. They just keep living And you watch them push themselves up on those nails. Grab a few quick breaths and collapse again. Oh, I know. It's hurting you to think about it. It's hurting me. But that's not the way the scene is. People are shouting at them. People are spitting on them. People are challenging them. It is just beyond belief that that happened. And then you come with a recognition. It isn't just three men and it isn't three criminals. There is one man who was God Himself placed on that cross. And He willingly took it. He took up the cross. He said, I have power to take it up. I have power to lay it down. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Take a look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to notice the words of Paul beginning in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17. Listen carefully to these words. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross or other versions, the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. I want you to notice especially those that, that statement in verse 18. For the message of the cross, the word of the cross, the message of the cross is folly. To those who are perishing. What is the message of the cross? You ever given that any thought? 
Sometimes we oversimplify this message. If someone were to ask you, what's the message of the cross? I'm sure you would say just what I would would say. Well, the message of the cross is that Jesus died for your sins. That's the message of the cross. And that would only be part of the message. That is not the complete message. And that is not the complete reason that the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. There's more to the message of the cross than simply that Jesus died on the cross. And that's what we've missed. That's where we have lost the image of what is taking place there. Do we ever thought, have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus could have died other ways? I'm sure that's crossed most of our minds. Well, why that way? How about lethal injection? That really sounds good to me. You know, I, I am kind of thinking in terms of these guys who are criminals. Oh, cruel and unusual punishment. Are you kidding me? I'll tell you what's cruel and unusual punishment. Dying for years with cancer. That's cruel and unusual punishment. Getting the needle? Give it to me. Piece of cake. Jesus could have died in a number of ways. How about Socrates? Hemlock. You know, I was reading about that. I said, well, i got to read about how he died. Well, his friend comes in, gives him a little bile. Tells his friend, he, he says, drink this and walk around the room. And as you walk around the room, pretty soon you're going to feel your legs get heavy. And when you do, lie down. And you will lie down and you will gradually feel less and less feeling. And it will disappear and finally come to your heart and you will pass. Well, sweet pea. <laughs> You're like, well, all right. No hours upon hours upon hours on a cross. How about stoning? The Jews stoned. <clears throat> I mean, that was in the law. The Jews would stone people. How about stoning? I mean, I know that doesn't sound very pleasant, but, you know... One big rock to your head and okay, we're, we're done. No. The cross. Jesus chose the cross. Why? Because there's more to the message than I died for you. I mean, if we're just talking about I died for you, die any way you want. But that's not the message. And that doesn't get the message across to us. Does it ever strike us the reason Paul said what he said in Galatians 2 and verse 20? He didn't say, I died with Christ. He said, I am crucified with Christ. You see, the message of the cross is not just the message that Jesus went to a cross. It is the message that we go to a cross. It is a message about how we live. Take a look in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus says this right up front. The first time He tells the apostles that He is going to die, right up front He tells them here's how it's going to be. Remember the story? 1621 of Matthew. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. Say, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. 
But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And we like to just stop right there and go, oh yeah, there you go. You know, you, Peter, you just don't understand. Jesus has to die. No, Jesus, watch what he does. Watch what he does in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples. Alright, everybody needs to listen up. I just whacked Peter. Now you all need to listen up. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. You see, just as there's no such thing as a Messiah without a cross, there is no such thing as a disciple without a cross. That same reflection you might remember we talked about last night in Isaiah. When we look at Isaiah, we start re- we start realizing shockingly. We begin to realize. That whatever Isaiah prophesied would happen to the Messiah, and whatever Isaiah prophesied the Messiah would be and do, you suddenly realize he's talking about us. Right down to Isaiah 53. And the suffering servant saw that yes, there will be a suffering servant who will give birth to offspring who will also suffer for the same cause. And we're blown away. I mean, that is the most amazing thing and you don't really catch it until you get to the New Testament and you see the apostles and prophets in the New Testament explaining that to us. And yet we still have such a hard time understanding it or getting it or believing that that is really what he's talking about. There's two ways that the cross becomes emptied of its power. The first is in how it is presented. It's how it's given. When we look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you will notice those words when Paul said that he is sent to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom. Now you might be wondering, why does Paul say that? What is the context in which Paul brings that up? The context is is that Paul is challenging the Corinthians to understand the, the entertaining preachers that they have hired. The Corinthians have hired a bunch of entertaining speakers. And these speakers, these preachers they've hired the better they entertain you and the better they turn a word for you and the better they keep you on the edge of your seat and the fewer people that uh, lay down on the pew, those are the individual, those are, that's the gauge by which they get paid. And the better entertaining they are, the more money they get. And Paul said, if I came and gave you eloquent wisdom. If I told you pretty things that made you feel all good about yourself all the time. He said, I would empty the cross of its power. Isn't that interesting? I can remember when I was young wanting to soften the gospel a little bit when I would try to teach somebody. Ah, now, you know, to tell you the truth, it wouldn't really take you much to become a Christian. Well, you're already a good person. I mean, there's just a few things you got to change. 
You know, you kind of you, you got to get up and go to church, and you know, there's a few things like that, and and you'll be a better husband, a better wife, you'll be a better son or daughter. You know, you're going to be a better worker. You know, it's just there's just a lot of great benefits to this. And and saying that empties the gospel. It empties the cross of its power. That, that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. I've actually had, at times, Christians come up to me. Not because I preached harshly, not because, because I preached a text in the Bible that didn't fit their cushy lifestyle. They came to me all upset. I come here to be encouraged. And that wasn't encouraging. Huh? Would you like me to cut? Here, give me the scissors. I'll cut that text out of your Bible. We'll just, uh, you know, take that away because I know that's not very encouraging. Actually, it's very encouraging. It's just the way your standard is. Well, I want to hear something to get me through the trials of my week. How about Christ crucified? How's that one? Will that get you through the trials of the week? Gets me through. You know, there's some silliness that sometimes goes on with this. Where our expectations become, we want to come here and we want to read the Bible and we want to read the text that we want to read. We want to hear what we want to hear. And it needs to be something that is so nice to our ears. And it just isn't that way. Look what Paul says in chapter 2 and verse 1. As he speaks of the same things, he says, And I, and I when I came to you, brothers did not come to you. The testimony did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What in the world does that mean? I decided to know nothing from you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What does that mean? That means, look, everything I taught you is framed by that cross. Every part of your life, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. That Everything is framed by that. Everything in your life. You wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night, and everything in between is framed by my master, my leader, was crucified. And I am crucified with him. That's what it's about. This is where it comes from. And he goes on to say, at verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Watch this in verse 5. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This was so important to Paul that in 2.13 he said, Look, when we preach to you, We don't impart to this in words taught by human wisdom. We don't even grab our own words to give it to you. But we give you the words of the Holy Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to spiritual people. Sometimes we forget something. That book you're holding in your hand, that is a beautiful artistically put together picture that when we take those 66 books 
and we put them together like 66 jigsaw puzzles within one giant jigsaw puzzle. We see the perfect picture of the glory of God that we can reflect. And sometimes what we do is we just chop it all up and cut it all up and go, hey, look at that piece, that's cute. Oh, look at that piece, that's cute. Oh, look at that piece, that's cute. And we just throw it all down on the table. Try that with your next jigsaw puzzle. Somebody comes in, it's just all over the place, and you go, I'd like my jigsaw puzzle. What jigsaw puzzle? Well, it's really cool, I thought. See the piece? Neat, huh? What? We think the person was nuts. That's kind of what we do. Or a Bible study. Oh, let's just open it here. Oh, look at that little verse. Neat. I'll put it on a coffee cup. Ah. It's like Brent said. Oh, what's a study about Moses? He wanted to see the backside of God. Oh, neat. That's all I know. Let's teach that to the children. What's the message? What's the message of the Spirit? That changes our lives because the Holy Spirit has this perfect ability to touch our hearts, to change us, to cause us to love Him, to cause us to see Him. It is a scary thing. What we have done is make it just like those preachers at Corinth just to chop it all up. And make it feel really good. Here's the deal. If we preach an empty message, if we empty the cross of its power, we will create an empty disciple. That's what's scary. Oh, you might baptize them. Oh, they may be coming to church. But there'll be an empty disciple. Did you ever notice in John 6? Look at, look at the big picture. Jesus feeds 5,000. Right? Woohoo! They go, cool! Let's make him a king! He goes, get out of here. Goes on the mountain. Shows up the next day after walking across the water. And then we've been, we've been looking all over for you. He goes, yeah, I know. Looking for breakfast. And he gives them his sermon of I'm the bread of life. And if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they all left. We'll take an economic king any day. We'll take the king that feeds the physical desires. But make us take your flesh and your blood. In other words, make us eat and drink how you live. That's the message of the cross. No, thank you. Still happens today. Still happens today. Oh, Christianity. Yes, you know, it's in, it's kind of, it can be fad. It can be a great fad in a, in a really cool church. And it's really neat. And I have really cool people there and all of that. And I love it. And I love the church and da, 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 and all this business. And, you know, if you go to that church, you'll get more sales if you're a salesman. There's a lot of rich people there. Or if you go to that church, you know, you'll build your business. Or if you go to that church, you know, you'll be in the end type, end church in the community. Or if you go to that church, you'll have a really good bunch of people that you'll enjoy. Nice, 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 nice. What's it about? We die. We die so others live. The second way, and this is this, the last way we're going to talk about. The second way the cross is emptied of its power. Is by the way it's lived. We've already suggested that. I want you to take 
These are the last verses we're going to look at, but we're just going to look at them fairly quickly. Just open your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to take a little journey through First and Second Corinthians, about five texts. What you're going to notice is, Paul has a thread in which he's trying to teach the Corinthians the message of the cross is how you live. Start with 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's begin there at verse 8. Paul says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. You see the irony there? Boy, that, that, that is hard to listen to. I want to remind you something. Corinthians didn't take this letter and all take a Xerox copy of it and go home and start reading it. This is being read verbally to the congregation and they are sitting there listening to it. Can you just see him slinking down? Oh, you're kings. Oh, yeah. Boy, you live it up. While we're out here, the scum of the world. Dying. Look at the next words, though. Here's where our Bibles mess us up by making paragraph marks. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Oh, yes, he did. It's a not-but statement. Not primarily to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have, Very important here. Though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. What? You know what I've always done? I followed what my crazy notation Bible said. That's a paragraph mark. And I can now just put all that stuff before in another section, and then, oh, be imitators of Paul. Okay, let's see, imitators of Paul. Um, okay, he was obedient, and, you know, he did good things, and no, 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 no. He says, look, that description I just gave of what we do, and what we give up, and how we sacrifice, and how we We are put down constantly because of what we're doing. That picture, I begat you as a father. And you know what children do? They follow their father, therefore be imitators of me. Oh my. Now you know how we've all read Paul. Well, you know, Paul was kind of different. He had to go through bad things and we don't. (laughs) And Be imitators of me. You think that's the only time? 
Uh oh, uh oh. Now go over to Second Corinthians four. He picks it up and ramps it to another degree in Second Corinthians. Chapter four, verse seven. But we have this treasure, treasure of the Word of God, in jars of clay. There's a message in that, by the way. Jars of clay are breakable. You have the Word of God in you. You're willing to be broken to show the image. You're willing to be broken so that the message, the treasure, can be shown. We have this in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Here's how it is. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be visible in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested, made visible in our mortal flesh. Watch this. So death is at work in us, but life in you. What 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 what'd you say, Paul? <laughs> he said, You know how? You know how that Jesus becomes visible in your body? By dying. You always carry in your body his death, and everybody will see the life of Jesus. That's that's what he did. That's the message of the cross. Look at chapter five. Look on to verse thirteen. Paul says, you know, there he's being accused of being crazy. He's being accused of being absolutely mad that he would live a life so persecuted. And Paul says, well, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. I'll be as nutty as a fruitcake if it's for God, if that's what you want to think about it. But he says, if we're in our right mind, it's for you. It's for you. Now watch this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. Now, sometimes we might have been thinking up to this point, oh, Paul's just talking about himself. No. If he died for all, all have died. That's the last text Brent ended with. Remember what he said? If we die with him, we shall live with him. 2 Timothy 2. If we die with Him, we shall live with Him. Ah, here we are. That's what He says. Now look at verse 15. And He died for all, watch this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him whom for their sake He died and was raised. And from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I'll tell you what, folks. We have plucked verse 17 out. We put it on our coffee cups. And we missed the whole text. How are you a new creation? Oh, it's I'm a new creation. And everything is wonderful. Hey, you're a new creation. And everything is wonderful. You're going to die. 
Because you're no longer, he says, looking at everybody around you according to the flesh. That is, you're no longer looking at people from a fleshly perspective. You're looking at them from the need they have in Christ. You don't look at them and evaluate them fleshly. That's what those false teachers were doing. You don't look at them and say, oh, well, they're sure weird. I'm not going to give them the gospel. You don't do that. Now you evaluate them from a God point of view. You are a new creation. You look at things differently. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. Paul says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, as what? As, as what? Servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul, how do you commend yourself? By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet also rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. You're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to children, widen your hearts also. He says, you know how I want to commend ourselves? Look at what we do. We die for you. And we're asking you to open your heart back to us. He says, that's a servant of God. Why does Paul keep giving those lists over and over again? Why? Because he's trying to show us the message of the cross is that you live it. You don't just go around saying, Jesus died. You say you die. That's That's the message. When you get to chapter 11, most of you know this one. I mean, this one is crazy. In chapter 11 and verse 21, he just starts off with, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I'll also dare to boast of that. These these Corinthian teachers, they just boasted about how great they were and how rich they were and how this they were. He says, well, it's the dumbest thing on earth to boast. But since you like boasting, let me give you one. Here's my boast. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was I, I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, on dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all those other things, the daily pressure on me of anxiety of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall that I am that I am indignant? I'm not indignant. <laughs> if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. We become nothing so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies because we are nothing but breakable clay jars that hold this beautiful treasure. And when we break ourselves, 
the treasure is shown. The general religious world, the general Christian religious world. Somebody says, well, you know how you show, how you're going to teach me is you just show a really good example. That's a bunch of baloney. I don't like baloney. It's a bunch of baloney. Lots of people are good moral people. That's not how that works. You show it when you die. When you give yourself up, then people go, whoa, what was that? He just laid his life down for me. He's, I, I'm nobody to him. And he just laid his life down for me. Suddenly, they see the cross. Oh, it's a whole different matter then. And that's how the message of the cross is seen. And Paul goes on in chapter 12, and he talks about the thorn that was given to him in the flesh. And the main thing that you see there is when he says in uh, in verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And Paul has just done this whole list every every few chapters. Let me stop and tell you again, all that a servant of Christ does. Pain, 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 pain. Die, 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 die. What's he picturing? I am crucified with Christ. What's he picturing? You cannot be my disciple, as Jesus said, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. When we carry the cross, we live the message. That's what the message of the cross is. And only by living the message does the power of the message actually have effect. Otherwise, we empty it. Now, you know, here's the way you, here's the way you talk somebody into being a Christian. If you want to follow Jesus, it's going to ruin your life. You have to give everything up. You are no longer first. Your kids aren't first. Your wife isn't first. Your mom and dad aren't first. In fact, Jesus said, unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, your own life too, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you forsake all you have, you cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14. So I'll tell you what. The greatest honor you could ever have in your whole life is to die for Him. Now, you know what you're going to do after you say that? You're going to die for them. And you will give yourself over to death so that they will live. Every minute of your life, ladies and gentlemen, please, you and I have to get out of our little ruts and think, how can I die so that person can live? Because he died for me so that I can live. And I'm his disciple.
That is the message of the cross. And I need that. I need to be reminded of that. And every time I feel inconvenienced, and every time I think I don't want to, I look at myself and I say, Shut up. You must die so others can live. That's that. If there's any way we can help you, if you know the message of the cross, and you want to deny yourself and give your life to Christ, we'd be glad to help you. And we can do so while we, together we stand, while we sing.